0: When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. High water rising, rising night and day. All the gold and silver are being stolen away. Big Joe Turner looking east and west from the dark room of his mind. He made it to Kansas City, 12th Street, and Vine. Nothing standing there high water everywhere. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host at Free Rob Kelly, and joining me to talk about high water for Charlie Patton from 2001's Love and Theft is fellow Bobcat, Josh Lieberman. Hi, Josh. Hello. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. We have been uh, talking back and forth on Twitter for quite a long time. So I'm happy to actually, you know, talking to you directly back and forth about having a regular human conversation. Uh, So, um, you know, this is your first appearance on the show. So, I mean, I have to start with the standard intro question. Like, how'd you become a fan of Bob?
1: I got into Bob sort of on my own. Um, You know, I was born in 1985. So I very much had parents who, would have been of bob dylan listening age themselves but they 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 were sort of into dylan but definitely not hugely into dylan um and you know as happens in when you get into you know late middle school and and high school you just pick up you know a bunch of different stuff um and i have some very specific memories of i think probably greatest hits volume 2 was the first thing i had you know obviously a very a pretty normal starting point mm-hmm. uh, if you're trying to get into a new artist Um, But I don't even remember acquiring that. I think it might have just been in my house. Oddly enough, the first one I bought on my own was Infidels. Very strange, like, to go from Greatest Hits basically to Infidels. But I just remember one day in – I was, uh, I guess, maybe, like, after freshman year, perhaps, of high school. I I grew up in Northern Jersey. So I just remember one day wandering into – I think it was an HMV, which was in Times Square – and wanting to pick up some new albums, and, <laughs> you had you had twenty five dollars to drop on a CD. <laughs> I, yeah, I had I had uh you know I was still living at home, so I suppose I was still you know using whatever funds my parents would would be giving me. So I had a couple bucks to spend on something, and I wanted to listen to and I wanted to get a a, a Dylan CD, and I wanted to get a Talking Heads uh, CD because I just wanted to start listening to both of them. And I, it's not exactly like it was pre-internet, and I couldn't find out like, well, what what should I get? I mean, I had. I was very tech savvy at a very young age. So so we had the internet, certainly by like, this would be like the late 90s. Um, But I didn't, I didn't, maybe just because you don't, I wasn't in the habit of doing it. It's not like I went online and like researched it. I just picked up Infidels. Maybe I like the cover. I don't, I don't know why. And I picked up, uh, for the talking heads, I picked up True Stories, a totally insane place to start. Um, but another album that I absolutely love and infidels too. I mean, I have a great affection for those two albums. I mean, I I don't know if it's because of when I got into it, um, but those are not natural starting points for either Dylan or the talking heads.
0: Now, why do you say that about an infidel? What,
1: what is it about infidel that well, you feel like it is? not? Just, it's a great kind great of a weird writer? point. I mean, I like 80s Dylan. I mean, I think the, the things, things, it, everything's come around on 80s Dylan, not everything, perhaps, but obviously people are a lot more open to it than they once were. And, the, you know, th- that period of time has been resurrected by stuff like Springtime in New York, but it's just not. If you were to tell somebody to get into Dylan, I don't think that would be where you'd tell them to start. And I don't think, you know, that production sounds a little, it's probably not the best place for somebody to start because of the production. And,. I mean, Jokerman's a great song, of course, so like, right off the bat, that is could, could, you could see that drawing somebody in, but I don't know. It doesn't seem to be a natural starting point.
0: My favorite story I've ever heard about Infidels was the, from Wyclef Jean, where he talked about how he got into Bob, and he said that his brother brought home Infidels. His brother was off in college, and then he came home for like summer vacation or whatever, and Wyclef was younger, and he's put on Infidels, and Wyclef Jean is like, when he first heard it, he was like, what is this? Like kind of like what is my brother listening to? And then he kept listening to Joker Man specifically, and he went from what is this to what is this? And, like, <laughs> he said he completely fell in love with it at that. Like just from the sheer amount of plays that he heard it over the summer, that Joker Man drew him in. So I mean,
1: there's beguiling stuff on there. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan. A bunch of people were talking about it today uh, on, on Twitter. License to Kill, I always love that song, and um, uh, and I and I, I mean, those are those are you know, I and I that that's a pretty beguiling song too. So, I mean, I could see being drawn in by infidels. I just don't think like if, if somebody were to ask me like, Hey, I've never listened to Bob Dylan. What should I start with? I just don't know that I'd say infidels.
0: Well, that's true. But I mean, this I'm so, okay. So what year was this, that you did this, this would have been that I would, that
1: I'd purchased the CD. Yeah. It would have been um, probably like, I would have been probably like 13 or 14. It would have been like 98, 99, perhaps 98, 99. Okay. So you
0: had time out of mind had come out by that point. Well,
1: bear in mind, and this is something we can talk about when we talk about love and theft, like yes. Yes. um, In 97 time out of mind had come out, but I wasn't really into Dylan yet. So, I, by the time Love and Theft comes around in 2001, I'm firmly into Dylan, so it sort of felt like it was the first album that came, Dylan, new album that came out, like, in my, you know, fandom.
0: Right, right, right. That's always a big moment for any Dylan yeah. fan, is when you finally get into it, what's the next album you get after that? That's always kind of a, a, a big moment, because then it's you're engaging with the work like everybody else, you know, it's I mean, fresh because it's new. It's not, you're not dealing with historical reviews and time and, you know, whatever people thought about it. since. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, I don't think if I, if it, if I had gotten into dealing a few years earlier and that was my, you know, and that came out, I mean, I wonder what I really would have thought of as a, as you know, a high school student with time out of mind coming out. I, that's that was, that's kind of a tricky album. You know, it's kind of an end of life ish, death ish album. I don't know <laughs> yeah. that like a freshman in high school would really get into that album. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It didn't happen that way. Love and Theft came out. Not that, I mean, Love and Theft's a pretty strange album too, but I I guess I would say I think it's probably more accessible.
0: Not that there was anything else to worry about in the world at that week that it came out, luckily. You know, you could just concentrate on that record. Well.
1: You know, I've been, I've been thinking about the World like, memories apart. of, yeah. I've been thinking about memories of, of like when this came out and I'm trying to remember, I mean, I'm trying to remember even like, I guess I was probably like a Rolling Stone subscriber back then. I probably would have seen like, there's a new Dylan album coming out. And I, I definitely anticipated it cause I'm nine Um, I was in, um, I, I grew up and went to high school in Northern Jersey. Um, so if anybody, if any li- listeners know uh, Jersey at all want to place it, I went to uh, high school in Allendale, New Jersey, Northern <laughs> Highlands. Um, and so that school, uh, my high school is about 45, 50 minutes with, with no traffic. Of course, there's always traffic, but no traffic to the city. <laughs> um, <laughs> no traffic New in New Jersey. Jersey.
0: What kind of wonderful <laughs> paradise are you living in? Well,
1: and going into the city, you know, there's always traffic, of course. But so let's say it's about an hour outside the city. So as you might imagine for Northern Jersey, almost everybody's parents work in the city. Um, or, you know, a, a, certainly a large percentage of, of the uh, workforce, uh, in Northern Jersey works in New York city. And of course, a fraction of those worked in the trade center or, or down around there. But I mean, I was, you know, I was, I was young. I mean, I was like, uh, I, I was a junior in high school and not that I was naive or an idiot or anything, but like. You know, on the day of when it was happening, I, I I kind of perhaps didn't really realize how massive a thing was going on. And honestly, when I was home from school, all I wanted was to get the Dylan CD. Uh, and I had and I, if I remember correctly, too, even just because of the proximity to the city and everything and just how weird it all was. I think they dismissed us from school, from high school early and just said anybody who wants to leave can leave. Because And I think I remember I think I left uh, midday and I couldn't drive yet. I was too young. and. I remember, like, sitting at home watching the news and waiting for my friend who had a driver's license and was older to come back from Tower Records to bring me my copy of Love and Theft. Well, <laughs>
0: it's a solid, uh, solid friend to do that for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, this again, we'll talk about Love and Theft, the record, uh, in a greater context. But yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's it, I, don't, I don't know if I don't have to say it's a shame, but, but it just it just is that this record to me is so inextricably tied with that event. And obviously, you know, it was recorded and finished long before all that. But I can't help but hear stuff in it that seems like it's pointing to some event that Bob could not have possibly known about, but yet he seems to have that kind of magnetic north thing in his head. That is, yeah. you know, and there's a, there's a moment like that in this song where you know the phrase is kind of means one thing pre nine eleven and then means a lot after that. And it's just again, it's it's just sort of an amazing. Document. I know I've mentioned about, I, I was at uh, tower records at midnight the night before buying it. They did a midnight release party and I went and got it and stood in line with all these people and stayed up all night listening to it over and over again. And then just the next day, everything, you know, all hell broke loose. And it was just like, Oh wow. So, I mean, I had that, that window. You know, yeah, a couple hours of it was just enjoying it for for what it is. So
1: before that's we go... get because you know that that's actually kind of funny because it's like there's a very there must be a very small amount of people in the world who basically listened to that album uh, as it was commercially released pre nine eleven. I mean they, there yep. was only a handful of hours in which that could have happened. Yep, uh, yep, yep, yep. I was, <laughs> and, and that's a funny way to first hear it. I mean, of course, when I was first listening, it was post. You know, it was later on in the afternoon uh, uh, on on nine eleven. So obviously everything had already happened. So yeah. throwing it on, especially high water, um, is Sounds so different thinking about what's going on, Um, you know, and going back to Time Out of Mind for a minute, you know, that people talk about that. You know, Bob was sick at the time. I guess, was he sick? He was sick when by the time he came out. He he got sick after it.
0: Um, Okay, so, yeah. Again, once again, it's he, you know, that album is steeped in death. And here he is a couple months later, he gets really sick.
1: Yeah. So it's almost like that same sort of, you know, obviously, unless, unless Bob Dylan recorded these songs on 910 and we didn't know it. Um, like he'd had these, these, these had been done for a while. So it's not like it really obviously, or unless he knew something about 911. I don't want to go into a conspiracy theory that, that Bob Dylan did 911, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, uh but, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it just, it gets tied up in that and it ha- obviously has nothing to do with it. And there's no reason that it should really get tied up with it, but it does in our minds. It does. It just does. So, all okay, right, So, before we get to high water, doing ska, have you seen Bob live? Yeah, I compiled my list last night because I was thinking about it because I have kind of a kind of have a sketchy. Uh, I've seen him one, two, three, four, five. I've seen him six times since 1999, and there were two times: one in Bethel when I had to give away tickets, unfortunately, because I got stuck at work oh. uh, and I couldn't go to that. And then one time he was playing one, during my honeymoon in Greece. And I could not manage to go to that, although I, I kind of wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, don't. don't. She, just let some me finish. With me. No, no, she wanted to go to it. It was actually more that he was playing on, on dates that were like two days before or after we were there gotcha, or something like that. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but you know, if he was, I mean, we were in Athens, like if he had been in Athens that night, we probably would have just gone, you know, it probably wouldn't have been that hard to get tickets. We would have popped over there. It would have been fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, we Yeah. So amazing, I, my, my yeah. first one was, um, it was an incredible show, which has, isn't, there's a great bootleg of it, fortunately. And there's a recent Benny Boy remaster that sounds incredible. Uh, that first show, like I mentioned, growing up in Jersey was November 13th, 1999, at, I, I guess it was then Continental. I think it was Continental at the time. Um, and that was, dylan and phil lesh um mm. and at the time even though i was getting into dylan i was really there for phil lesh because right, right. i wanted to see my first grateful dead adjacent show i was i was only 10 when jerry died in 1995 uh so by so 99 was my first uh dead related show and it was an it's incredible it was incredible because i got to see bob and and phil lesh but i was really there more for more for the dead did you enjoy that i mean that yeah, was amazing. Good for Deadhead. Uh, oh the no it was incredible thing, yeah. and it was and it was uh uh, I guess it was only one of two times I've seen him general admission. So we were pretty, pretty close up front. Um, and so that's the way, you know, every time you go to like a, a dead show, the, 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 the people, Oh, you know, most, most fans want to be up front in the general admission show for, for a dead show. Um, but for whatever reason, we had these tickets and I went with uh, two buddies of mine and my uncle and um, we were way up front and it was, it was pretty incredible. And, you know, the dylan they were both great performances i've listened to both the dylan set and the lesh set since um i don't even know if i have such strong memories of the dylan of actually appreciating the dylan show in the moment i remember enjoying it but going back to listen to it i mean it's an unbelievable show it has a uh a song to woody that is just stunning mm-hmm. and um and actually I, I i didn't remember this but it has your favorite song on it oh no yep <laughs> born in red hook brooklyn <laughs> <laughs> i'm
0: glad my reputation proceeds but yeah he loves anything related to the dead he seems to like
1: pulling that out because of course yeah, he well, sang he it not fade when away when also. he tou- toured with them in the 80s <laughs> yeah he, he he uh i don't know if he was doing that because you know you know jerry liked that song or what but he he did play uh he did play joey and uh, yeah i guess a nod to the to them playing it back in the day so yes joey was part of it um but the um Song to Woody is, is is was stunning. Um and then I was going through this list too. I realized I've seen him every time I've seen him is in November, except for one show. Mm. Um because you know, he generally played the New York area in Nov plays the New York area in November. Yeah. So. That's
0: generally when I've seen him the last five or six times. I think it's it's the fall or the winter.
1: Yep. So. But strangely, for the one time I saw him outside of the country was also in November, and that was in Prague in two thousand five.
0: All right, now you got to, how, how? How are you in Prague? In well, it, it
1: actually lines up pretty neatly for uh, uh, for a college kid because it's where I was studying abroad, and okay. it happened to be uh, that he came to town then. So that was that was fun to see him there. That was a great show too. That was, I guess, that was only my second time seeing him, uh, and then subsequently, uh, United Palace in two thousand nine. That show was incredible. He opened with uh, "Changed My Way of Thinking." That was when he was doing that, and that was just stunning. I love that song, um, and. After that, Terminal Five—that was probably the worst. Uh, I don't know if you know that venue in New York City. It's terrible. Um, no, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, that one was not. That was fine, but the venue itself was just awful. And then most recently was um, uh, "Rough and Rowdy Ways" in the uh, Capitol Theater in Portchester in 2021, also November.
0: Right now, and, just as yeah, a right. just as a comparison, how many shows have you seen of Dead and Company and the accompanying solo dead dead member tours?
1: I never really tallied it up. I mean, um, it, it's not an insane amount. I mean, I would say it's, uh, you know, it's a healthy number. I would, if I had to guess of all the various permutations, you know, between 20 and 30.
0: Okay. All right. So
1: Perfect. not, not ludicrous. I mean, considering, you know, some people go on the road with them. Right. right, um, right, 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 right. Yeah. So a manageable amount.
0: <laughs> I'm just sort of key. I was just curious to the, to the scale of it basically versus the Dylan thing. So, okay. Um, so yeah, so high, I mean, high water. Now, I saw something uh, on your Twitter feed a couple of days ago, and this is very awkward, Josh, that I've, but I feel like the need to bring it up um, because apparently this was after we had booked this show, but before this recording, obviously, um, you mentioned that you made a list at some point in your younger days of your least favorite songs on any uh, Dylan it, album.
1: I think and, I made that list in 2000. If I recall, I actually, I'm, I'm positive. I made that list in 2005 because in that same notebook was some, Uh, like some addresses about people's phone numbers in Prague. So that would have been
0: 2005. This is is all becoming very mysterious, but, uh, but, but unfortunately you put high water on that
1: list as your least favorite song from, so explain yourself, young man, what is that about? I don't know. I mean, that's what I found so perplexing. I mean, there's no songs I dislike on the album, but there are certainly ones that I would have thought I would have put on there. It's totally inexplicable to me. And you know, that's why it's strange to to pull out an old notebook like that and be confronted with something like that. I mean, I don't even recognize a period in my life when I wouldn't have enjoyed that song. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's it may be in my top five Dylan songs of all time now. Oh, um, wow! I just don't know how that could have possibly come to be. <laughs> um, I wish don't I wish recognize I knew. that man. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, it's it's like it's crazy to me because there's other songs in there, like I said, even currently, where it's like. I mean I could probably throw with the exception of like Mississippi I could probably throw any other song in that slot and understand why I why I deem that my least favorite at that moment but I mean you know there's just no way that that high water would have would have been there I just don't know what happened <laughs> I love the idea of you confronting yourself with these you know like what
0: why why I, would I <laughs> why would it you might take that? years of-
1: therapy or, or hypnosis or something to figure out on earth what happened there
0: yeah i gotta unlock uh, the secrets of high maybe water well, was, maybe maybe we'll get to do that
1: i don't know maybe don't know. maybe it was like relate you know because like we like we we mentioned it's the most nine eleven 11 y song so maybe i had some trauma tied up in 9-11 with it or something i don't know ah maybe
0: uh so okay uh you know high water i mean i i, I quoted the initial lyrics and then there we get the second verse the high water rise the shacks are sliding down folks lose their possessions Folks are leaving town. Bertha Mason shook it, broke it, and she hung it on a wall. Says you dance with whom they tell you to, or you don't dance at all. It's tough out there, high water everywhere. And I, I love this song from the beginning. Uh, part of it is the tune. Larry Campbell's banjo, by the way, mm-hmm. is just absolutely wonderful. Oh, yeah. I really love Dylan's kind of growly vocals um i don't know if that's him doing the uh, kind of sound yeah, that you sure. hear. It. i
1: never actually thought about the yeah i don't know whether from. that's
0: somebody else it, on, on the wikipedia page it says this is one of the few songs that he has a backup singer on and i was like is that okay is that i mean i don't know if that's accurate is that who that is is that a separate huh. person doing the uh, kind of sound I don't <laughs> in, know. The, in the background so i mean in your mind like i i've never been able to quite figure out what's going on in this song, but that's true of a lot of Dylan songs, but I enjoy it anyway. And I love it because it is just this sort of just bouillabaisse of characters from the last century of American history, specifically in a lot of ways, music history, although Bertha Mason is from Jane Eyre. Yeah. But just, it's this mix of characters all just shoved together. Seemingly while we've got this person in a car kind of maybe, dealing with these people. Maybe not. I've never quite been able to figure out what the song is really about, even for myself, but yet I, I love it anyway. Cause it just has that wonderfully dark Gothic ominous feel to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's chock full of, uh, of allusions to things. Some of which I've, you know, to some extent tried to figure out a little bit. Um, uh, I talked to Scott one a little bit and he's mentioned some things, um, you know, online and he mentioned some things to me that things he found, um, you know, because there's obviously very concrete names and places and yep. things mentioned, so it's it's a pretty dense, uh, I guess, a dense bouillabaisse base is how you put it. I think. <laughs> well, you didn't say dense, but it's a dense bouillabaisse base <laughs> um, of characters and, and situations and things. I mean, at the at the base level, it obviously. I mean, the right right in the title there, it's you know, it it, it harkens back to obviously Charlie Patton's own song "High Water," um, mm-hmm. of which there's part one and part two. Right. Um, right. Which is, uh, I mean, the, obviously, for like any recording from that that time, they're a little rough to listen to. But I mean, it's it's pretty great, and you can see why Dylan would be like totally into uh, Charlie Patton's song "High Water Everywhere." Um, but you know, it, it, it seems to deal, obviously, at the most basic level with the same flood that was going on—the uh, Great Flood. Uh, I guess it was nineteen twenty-seven, right, Mississippi? Mm, yeah, um, yeah. That's obviously at the at the most at the most simplistic uh, level what's going on here. Um, but I mean, it just, it just, it just reaches back to like, and this is kind of one of my favorite Bobs. And I think a lot of favorite Bobs, just like this wild, like old Testament, angry Bob, um, Mm -hmm. which this song is interesting too, because this is 2001 high water. And, uh, it, it, it it presages in a little bit, I think how angry and, uh, you know, and violent and bloody he gets in later albums, um, to like, you know, something like Tempest where it's like just insane with like. Uh, you know, tin angel or pain blood up through um, stuff on rough and ratty ways. That's just like blood drenched. Um, <laughs> but this is one of the earlier, I, I guess one of the um, earlier Jack Frost era examples of just sort of like him getting really kind of violent and scary and a little bit apocalyptic. Um, and uh, I think it was, it was an Eric lot uh, Eric lots book or rather an essay. And Eric lot wrote in uh, what is it? The Dylan, I have it here. The Cambridge companion to Bob Dylan. Um, he talks about he mentions, and I think he actually kind of makes a mistake here. Um, but he mentions Bob d- doing an allusion to Night of the Hunter, you know, the Charles Lawton film. Sure,
0: yes, Robert, he Robert said, Mitchum. Yeah, yeah.
1: He says that uh, he, he mentions, and I think he's actually misquoting um, Grill Marcus talking about uh, about High Water. But he says that basically there's a, a Night of the Hunter allusion in this, which I don't think there actually is. But that's, but I think the point Grill was making, in which Eric Lawton might have misinterpreted, was like that's a perfect analog for the just the dark weirdness of this something like night of the hunter and robert mitchum's character and that um it's just somebody you generally don't want to be around
0: yeah (laughs) got the love and hate tattooed on his exactly uh, well love and hate
1: hate is not far from love and love and theft
0: right exactly you need another
1: finger right or uh,
0: a head to count (laughs) (laughs) yeah that you know that's interesting i i had not particularly read that i would not have made that connection but it's so funny that you say that because as i'm reading the words here on the on the website the first image that i think of i mean that that movie is steeped in incredible imagery uh it's kind of remarkable to think that it's charles lawton's only film as director i mean but um it's funny a lot of the early part of that movie is robert mitchum in his open-topped car kind Mm -hmm. of driving from place to place and he is this sort of dark figure uh, you know looming into the lives of these people and then you know you get they, to me there's some of that in this song is that the, the again the guy who's the I in this song the I got a craven love for blazing speak out of it. The, whoever this figure is he seems somewhat disconnected from the events around him he's sort of you know what right, i don't like, know what is he
1: doing I mean, so, what is he doing is he driving through the the like the post uh deluvian like landscape here right
0: <laughs> Right, yeah. I mean, he's he. St- it's almost like he gets the line about got a hopped up Mustang for jump into the wagon, love, throw your panties overboard. Mm-hmm. By the way, that line certainly jumped out at me when I heard it. Whoa, yeah. Bob! Uh, go, man, I Bob can write you poems. <laughs> make a strong man lose his mind. I'm no pig without a wig. I hope you treat me. kind. I always feel like that. Whoever this is is surveying this wreckage, this American carnage. Not to borrow a phrase from a horrible person, yeah, please. But, <laughs> but 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 to bar, you know, to to go through all this. And he's kind of just sailing through in his hopped up Mustang Ford. So when you say that, I can sort of picture Robert Mitchum talking like that, or at least his character, jumping to the wagon, love, throw your pennies over
1: like that <laughs>
0: it kind of fits really well, actually.
1: You know, I, uh, I asked, uh, uh, cause I was going through basically every single line here, trying to figure out all these illusions and I was doing what I guess I would, what I imagine at the, at, at the most simplistic level, Scott Wormuth probably does is just throwing phrases into Google books and seeing what pops up. Right. right. Um, so he's probably gone through every one of these lines. So I wasn't going to find anything he didn't find. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I did ask our good friend, Harry Hugh, uh, if he had any thoughts to that, you know, I said, I'm going to bet he
0: did. <laughs> I was
1: yeah. Yeah. I asked him one question. I got about 15, uh, hundred dms back um <laughs> uh, <laughs> with all he's with like, a slow day with, like, <laughs> yeah, right. With, with a ton of screenshots uh from 15 different works um <laughs> but so uh, he he responded and i think he was uh, making a little fun of me here because he, he said he uh i asked him if he had anything to tell me or anything you know that he he's discovered and he uh, specifically mentioned the no pig without a wig line and he said and i will quote his dm here the verse where he's driving uh, and he tells the girl to throw her panties overboard because he ain't no pig all back to the 1990 music video for Unbelievable, where Dylan plays a chauffeur who drives around with a pig with a nose ring. That's so, right. Yep. I, don't, I don't think Harry was being serious there, but um, I thought that was fairly amusing. And I actually ha- did not know there was an Unbelievable music video and I watched it and it's indeed unbelievable. <laughs> Directed by his son. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mentioned that. yeah. Directed, starring Molly Ringwald, of all people. Yeah, well, I guess he had to throw Jesse some work. Maybe Jesse needed to get his director's card or whatever. Or was this after? Oh, this would have been way before How High, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the first mention of How High on Pod Dill- Dylan, I hope. <laughs> Hopefully not the last.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh oh, boy, yeah, there's a whole lot there. Um yeah, I I never would have again made the connection to to unbelievable, but I could sort of see. It. I mean, the Again, this is the, the 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 you know, the pension that Bob has been having lately with these grabbing these lines from different things and just shoving them all together. I mean, it's funny that the, you know, the the parentheses, the For Charlie Patton, yeah. there's only a handful of Dylan songs that have ever done that, obviously. The it's all right, Ma, and um, I Don't Believe You. and things like. That. But it's not, what do you make of that? What do you make of that specific reference? Because obviously, Bob, if he wanted to do that, he could do that for a lot of these songs. You know what I mean? Like, he could have done that for False Prophet. He could have done it for... Uh, 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 my wife's hometown where he is sort of very heavily borrowing someone else's tune, but he doesn't. But here, here he specifically does to mention Charlie Patton, even though, yes, the title is a a Charlie Patton song, but it's, there's no great connection there. Do you feel like he's, is he having a little bit of fun and almost like he's purposely trying to throw people off the scent? Or do you feel that that's, you know, getting a little too, uh, you know, like, you know, crazy corkboard, you know, uh conspiracy theory kind of thing.
1: I don't know. Um I honestly to be to be honest, I didn't give it too much thought. I mean in the case of like if you you mentioned False Prophet, I don't think he wanted to necessarily show how much of a ripoff he was doing with that song right. by tipping his hand to uh what's his name, Billy Emerson. Billy Emerson. Is that his name? Um I mean I guess in the most charitable interpretation here I'd say that it's like he has such reverence for Charlie Patton that he's just dedicating it to him. Um yes. I mean I, I don't know. I, I honestly did not think too much about that. Um yeah, and it wouldn't take much for anybody to figure out that there's a, there's a high water everywhere song by Charlie Patton. I mean, it would take 2 seconds to figure it out. So, why he tips his hand in this this uh, instance, I'm not quite sure.
0: Hm. Yeah, I always again, it seems so unique when he's like hey, he makes the effort to to do that, especially when as far as I know, he's not borrowing any lines from any Charlie Patton songs. I mean, he gives a couple. Thought, like, oh, does he? Okay, because I know the title, I mean, High Water but is there a specific lines that he is taking um, from from a from a Charlie
1: patton song again
0: not yes. that that means that you have to do that but it's again it seems to uh, it's it's a very again it's a very pointed reference
1: yeah there's only cuz i wrote down a couple things here um it's really minor i mean i would almost hardly call it a uh, um it's so, it's so minor that, uh, it's, it's not, it's not even like taking a whole line. But when he does say water pouring into Vicksburg, don't know what I'm going to do. Um, in, in High Water, uh, everywhere, the Charlie Patton song, part one, he just mentions going to Vicksburg. So okay. it's not, right. it's, that's, it's, I wouldn't even call it st- taking a whole line, uh, at all. But I think, I'm, I think that's the only place where he, oh, no, no, there's actually, there's one more, uh, which is when, Bertha Mason, that, that whole Bertha Mason thing has that, that whole stanza has a a lot of stuff going on, but you know, obviously Bertha Mason is most likely that Jane Eyre reference, Um, but uh, broke it and hung it on the wall. Uh, There's another Charlie Patton song called shake it and break it, which says uh, just shake it. You can break it. You can hang it on the wall. Oh, okay. All right. There you go. Yeah. Okay. It's there. You know why, why he would choose in this case to, to, to you know like i said show his hand for charlie patton i'm i'm not quite sure
0: yeah i, I mean, realize- this is
1: bob though did he even think about it or did he just scribble that down and then and then that became what happened you know with the title
0: absolutely yeah i think obviously the 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 risk when you're doing something like this is like you're leaning too far into it and being like oh he must mean something maybe not No, he he might have just been like, you know what? We've been listening to Charlie Patton all day. Let's do one for Charlie Patton. Here, I got high water. Let's do that. And then he just stuck it on there. You know, he just put the, in the little parentheses. And again, he's doing sort of a public service that the classic folk tradition is all about, which is pointing people to older material. I never heard of Charlie Patton before this song. I was completely unfamiliar with him. Now I, you know, I have some knowledge of him thanks to this song. I wouldn't know it otherwise.
1: Yeah, which I know, we, which, you know, I think is something that Bob has said either directly or indirectly about when he gets, you know, when he's been, whenever he's commented about these people, it's like you wouldn't, I mean, Charlie Patton, people would know, a lot of people would know because he was a major blues figure. But a lot of these things, like when you look at like the Henry Tim, Harry Timrod, Henry Timrod, Henry Timrod, Henry yeah. Timrod thing, it's like these people might as well not exist unless yeah. Bob, uh, excavates them and you know brings them to the people uh, not to get too highfalutin but um you know I, I do think there's something to be said for that of him of him making people aware of these things these people and 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 this art that otherwise nobody was reading timrod yeah
0: <laughs> now the next verse which you quoted with the water pouring into vicksburg he says high water rising because it's just above my head coffins drop it in the street like balloons made out of lead which is again a marvelous Turn of phrase, water pouring into Vicksburg. Don't know what I'm going to do. Don't reach out for me. She said, can't you see I'm drowning too? It's rough out there. High water everywhere. I always, again, the, the coffin dropping in the street is just an amazing phrase. Uh, You know, it has such a powerful visual of, you know, dead bodies being rendered from the ground. Like the, the water is so high that it's ripping up the cemeteries and you've got coffins just sort of flying down the, the, the main thoroughfare. Um, but I thought it was interesting with the, the don't reach out for me. She said, can't you see I'm drowning too? In that, you know, the, in the previous verse when he's driving the, the the hopped up Mustang Ford, the the woman that he is instructing to throw her panties overboard, I, uh, again, it reads, that bit reads to me as a sort of a casual sort of sexual encounter necessarily. Right. And then here she says, don't reach out to me. Can't you see I'm drowning too? That's a kind of selfless act. Like this woman he's potentially taking this woman out of her bad situation, but she's the one saying, no, 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 don't like, leave me here. I, I yeah. you know,
1: I find that very really interesting. I sort of thought of like, um, it's just like, she's too far gone. Like if somebody's mm-hmm. drowning and you go to save them and you don't have a flotation device, you're going to drown too. Mm-hmm. There there's, there's, uh, there's, it's not that easy to save somebody drowning if you just like hop in and and, and try to pull them out. So I sort of thought it, it was just sort of like this, it's helpless, like, you know, go on without me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, actually that line too, is something that Scott Wormuth points out as something that was stolen from an, un, or no, I shouldn't say stolen, sorry. Um, borrowed well, from, faft, <laughs> you know, <love> <laughs> lovingly thieved from a, <laughs> uh, from an unusual source. Uh, Scott Wormuth points out the can't you see I'm drowning too. Um Is he points out it's from, or or at least he he you know seems to find a similarity to um, Henry Rollins' book, actually, Um, which (laughs) uh, the uh, I'm sure you've read uh, Henry Rollins' "Art to Choke Hearts and Pissing in the Gene Pool." (laughs) Oh sure,
0: yes, it's a million (laughs) familiar. In which
1: he says uh, the line is. uh, I can see it in your eyes. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I can see it in your eyes. Dot, dot, dot. You're weak and in need. You want something to hold so you can have something to blame. Don't reach out to me. I'm drowning too. Hmm. So that seems pretty close. Um, Again, with Bob, you never know, but that's good work, Scott. I think, I think you might've nailed, nailed it there.
0: (laughs) I, again, we've talked about this in previous episodes. I just can't imagine what Bob's, book collection must look like like does he keep them all does he get rid of stuff does he trade stuff in i mean because just the amount of reading it seems like he must do is pretty
1: overwhelming you know yeah, just the I sheer mean, amount he's of got references of he's the bus, able to... you know <laughs> yeah oh, i guess so he's got a lot of downtime yeah. in motels and he's obviously not you know i don't think he's out on the road partying with people or even visiting with 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 people that he knows that are in that town i think he's probably going back to the motel and probably smoking a cigarette and reading the Encyclopedia of Desks, like he does, uh, he, he he lifted one line from from Chronicles, from the Encyclopedia of Desks. So, <laughs> um, you know, he he uses strange sources. He probably found that in a. Uh, in like the the lobby of a motel or of a hotel or something he was staying in you know they always have like a terrible library with random books yeah. maybe he was like in a uh, in a bed and breakfast in some weird town he was playing <laughs> he probably picked up the encyclopedia of desks and decided that he would wanted to take a line from that and put it in chronicles
0: it makes me think like does he have like a kindle you know what I mean? Like
1: he said, <laughs> probably not. I put, August, out call, I put out the call on, on Twitter to, uh, that I'll give, uh, you know, a thousand pounds or whatever I said. I said some made up figure to anybody who can show me a picture of Bob Dylan using a computer because I would like to see that. Um, that would be pretty I just, amazing. I just don't think, I don't see him tip tapping away on uh, on a computer. <laughs> I think he I, probably reads paper books. Probably.
0: I mean, I do too. I mean, it's just, but it's just, uh, just for the sheer amount that he takes in, uh, you, you start to think, well, you know, you can only carry so many books. I mean, you got a tour bus. I guess you can carry as many books as you want. But it would just seem daunting to have all these giant volumes of, you know, Roman thoughts and all sorts of stuff, and then he's got Henry Rollins and the Encyclopedia like of desks and things like that.
1: Um, it's the, well, Encyclopedia of desks uh, I believe, it was a coffee table size book, so I guess that's in you know in Malibu in his in his in his pad in Malibu. I guess I don't I know if he takes so. that one on the road with him. Oh my God! So
0: the next verse, he says, "Well, George Lewis told the Englishman, the Italian, and the Jew," which is great. It sounds like a uh, beginning of a joke. Yeah. Uh, which of course this this album is full of dad jokes kind oh, of yeah. thing. So I mean, it sort of fits. Don't open your don't don't open up your mind, boys, to every conceivable point of view that got Charles Darwin trapped there, trapped out there on Highway 5. Judges of the High Sheriff, I want him dead or alive. Either one, I don't care. High water everywhere, but I love the way he sings. Either one, I don't care. It just oh, yeah. this it's sort of
1: offhand great kind of thing. Phrasing.
0: Now there's so much packed into this. Um, first of all, you know, there are lines in Love and Theft, which we kind of talked about at the top of the show, that feel like they are written post 911 when we know they couldn't have been because you know now dead or dead or alive that's a phrase in the culture it's been in the culture for hundreds of years yeah. at this point at the same time you know uh when the the phrase i want him dead or alive became new and had new parlance about a year and a half later after george yeah. bush used that on Osama bin laden he literally said i want him dead or alive you know and I thought, wow, there it is again. Bob's got this weird wire in his head that is able to just grab things that seem like they're floating out there in the ether. And then he brings them down and puts them in a song. And then a year later, you're like, dang, there it is again. Like, how, Jesus, how does he do that?
1: I don't know. And this is, this this I, I barely could find anything that I could, compare this to or or see you know uh, that bob had sourced this one from i mean george lewis uh, spelled differently is uh, was a philosopher lewis l e w e s was a philosopher and and the partner of of the writer george eliot um i don't know uh, enough to know about whether it, if that's really the george lewis being referred to mm-hmm. um but in any case i mean i don't know what what the englishman the italian and the jew is supposed to mean i mean for one thing i praise bob because He's probably the last person to be able to just put the Jew in a song <laughs> and, not be, <laughs> and not be offensive or, or like anybody to call him out on it because it just it's it's that really sticks out. But I mean, it works. But uh, um, I don't know. I saw somebody speculating that it, it, it represented the Englishman, like it, the world, like like religions of the world. Englishman being like Protestant, Italian, being Catholic and Jew. Jew oh, wow. Hinduism, OK. So okay. that it was somehow commenting on world religion. I don't know. And I found, and I think it might've been that same person. I forget who this was, was speculating. And I don't think this really actually makes sense with, um, with the way this, the, this stanza is really laid out, but was speculating that um, the judge says to the high sheriff, I want him dead or alive. Either one, not either way, but either one, I don't care that hmm. it's either George Lewis or Charles Darwin.
0: Oh, Oh, really?
1: Okay. I don't quite I buy never it, but it's interesting. That.
0: Okay. All right,
1: yeah, you're right, because you would say either way. Exactly. Not either one.
0: Yeah, oh, geez, I never... I, I don't think that. it
1: quite works, but I, I was I thought that was at least I gave uh, whoever that writer was uh, points for an intriguing new theory.
0: Yeah, I mean, hey, if that's what it, yeah, uh, always said if that's what it means to you, then that's what it that's what it means. Now
1: it's like he wants either person. You can either give him George Lewis or or Charles Darwin or Charles Darwin, Dead Darwin. or alive doesn't matter. Just get one of them. <laughs> get one
0: of them. Yeah, oh that's oh, that's that's really interesting. I, yeah, that's the I next time so. I listen to the song, I'm gonna have to. Uh, that's gonna pop it on my head. The line about Charles Darwin trapped there on Highway Five again. That to me was always sort of this ominous thing of let's hunt down the science mm-hmm. you know and of course we're living through that right now right. which is this whole idea that science is you know uh, I do my own research you know right, we're all right, we're right. At the, if, if this country ever completely goes under that'll be the phrase on the tombstone. <laughs> okay, I did, my, <laughs> I own did my own research but yeah. this idea of of ch- chasing down someone who wanted to point us in a more accurate direction. And they've got him trapped out there. Just the the phraseology trapped out there on highway five. Like he's an animal. You know, I just, that is so, it is just so powerfully evocative. Again, I don't even exactly know what it all means, but man, it feels like it's, I feel like we are, definitely have charles darwin trapped out there now i mean that just that just feels so relevant to 2022
1: yeah it was relevant in uh, post 9-11 and it's unfortunately not not irrelevant now too
0: yeah oh lord uh it's absolutely that's fantastic so uh and then he says the cuckoo is a pretty bird she warbles as she flies of taken from another song yeah i'm preaching the word of god I'm putting out your eyes, which that's very Robert Mitchum from night of the Hunter. So sort of yeah, of thing. I, absolutely. I asked fat Nancy for something. Each. She said, take it off the shelf. As good as you are, man, you'll never be greater than yourself. I told her, I didn't really care. High water <laughs> everywhere. Again, again the, the marvelous shruggy delivery in so much of the song. You'll never be greater than yourself. I told her, man, I didn't really care.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's a very uh, funny
0: song for his ominous it is funny very
1: funny i mean of course i mean that's that's the thing that really you know to not to get too sidelined but a thing i find very frustrating obviously you're not part of this and you're doing your part to not be part of this but just the 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 dry academic nature of some of obviously dylan's studies uh you know particularly because this is like the funniest human being who's ever lived Mm -hmm. um and I feel like a lot of times the humor gets written away or just not really appreciated as like how funny he, he really is. I mean, I, he, I think of also like another, you know, huge person of a fan of and that Bob was, too, of like Leonard Cohen of like, you can write these unbelievably ornate poems and still have a lot of humor in them. And Bob's <laughs> don't songs. do go home are- with your heart on. You can write that, too. <laughs> well, I mean, they don't have to be that, uh, you know, that um, obvious. <laughs> but there's humor in a lot of in a lot of those songs, too. And just not humor in a sense of like I mean, look Bob Dylan's literally telling uh, knock knock jokes on this album. Yeah, but uh, but there's a more subtle humor and certainly an incredibly dark humor uh, that that you, that you see here. And yeah, a lot of a lot of these things are are funny. A lot of this, sh- I mean, it's a very Jewish thing too to like just be shrugging constantly. And there is a lot of shrugging in this song of you know, <laughs> like you said, uh, I don't really care. I told her I didn't care, just kind of like shrugging it off. So I think it's a very Jewish sense of humor too.
0: Yeah, I mean there's this kind of indifference to uh I you know at least in the song I mean um uh, this kind of indifference to the calamities going on around you. Yeah, you know, like so this, if
1: it happens it happens kind of you eh. can imagine somebody saying that in a, a Yiddish inflected voice. <laughs>
0: right, yeah, just this kind of like, oh, I don't I told her I didn't really care, you know. And I just and I guess I love as great as you are man, you'll never be greater than yourself. And you know, I I try not to it's hard with some of the songs cuz you can't you can't remove it from the context of that. It's Bob Dylan, this legendary figure mm-hmm. singing these things. But to me, that, that always feels like a very specific line about being Bob Dylan. If somebody's saying as great as you are, man, you'll never be greater than yourself. Like this kind of weird, it, right. you know, the line on, you know, on paper, you kind of read it and you go, well, what does that even mean? That just sounds like almost nothing. It's kind of like, uh, you know, there ain't no success like failure, but failure is no success at all. You're just like, yeah, that's just, gibberish masquerading <laughs> as something profound but the more you read into it you're like well no wait hold on it's, you know you'll never or, be greater than yourself well okay I, I, I think I understand what that is
1: or um, you know you can always come back but you can't come back all the way mm-hmm. uh, it kind of rhymes with that uh, yes. Uh, on this album so uh, sim- kind of a similar sentiment um, but uh, there's actually that line and I, we talked about this a little bit on, on Twitter the other day I have the official, you know, I have that huge, you know, coffee table book, uh, the Dylan one that they came out with in like 2012. that has all his lyrics up until then. And was like $200 and was like, it's a massive, massive book.
0: Yeah. I did not have that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I glad I got it at the time because it goes for a lot more now on, on eBay and stuff, but you know, that's kind of the most I I consider to be the most official setting down of his lyrics. Um, because we all know his website is insane. Um, (laughs) but, uh, the way it's laid out here it's laid out as it is i think most places as great as you are a man you'll never be greater than yourself oh really which is not not what he sings ever i don't think he always says as great as you are comma man you'll never be greater than yourself and i don't know exactly what that changes but it's it's, it is you know another one of those things where the lyrics as written are not ever what he sings i mean what as great as you are a man you'll never be greater than yourself i don't really know how that differs too much yeah and yet somebody made the effort to do it. Like you, you, I guess in this sense, it would be as great as you are a man, you'll never be greater than yourself. Like man can never be greater than man, I guess, which is slightly different than saying as great as you are, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm yeah. not sure that there's an important distinction to be made there. Although earlier in this, uh, I will say that um, Clinton Halen, I was reading his uh, still on the road and the cuckoo is a pretty bird. He throws in an, in- an insane criticism of Dylan. Cause you know, he can't leave well enough alone. Mm. Um, the cuckoo this is Clinton saying he's uh saying uh the cuckoo is a pretty bird, she warbles as she flies, comes from uh comes from one he sang when he was just twenty one the cuckoo is a pretty bird right actually and then in parentheses he says actually this is one line that smacks of having to find a rhyme proving that even on this fine song he was sometimes knocking vainly at inspiration's door (laughs) i mean it's absolute bullshit yeah uh, okay yeah (laughs) i mean he, he actually opens this this is this this thing on high water he opens it just throwing in a random insult to real marcus which is great too which is he says Uh, In verse one, a name check for Big Joe Turner sets him off, suggesting, he's talking about Dylan here, suggesting he was looking to cover more of that Weird old, uh, he said. He renders it old. Weird old America in five minutes. Then Grill Marcus managed in the whole of Invisible Republic. Like <laughs> I don't know why you're taking a swipe at Grill Marcus here.
0: <laughs> he's well, okay, because he's, <laughs> <him. laughs> he's a crotchety guy. Yeah. Um, and so the song uh, wraps up with, "I'm getting up in the morning. I believe I'll dust my broom." Of course, as yet another reference from the Robert Johnson's "Dust uh, yeah. Broom" song. Keeping away from the women, I'm giving them a lots of room. So okay, this guy has. Changed his tune. He was trying to pick women up and throw them in his car. And now he's keeping away from the women. I'm giving him lots of room. Thunder rolling over Clarksdale. Everything is looking blue. I just can't be happy, love, unless you're happy too. It's bad out there. High water everywhere. Now, everything is looking blue. In your mind, to you, is everything looking blue bad? As in the blues? As in things are, you know, when you're blue you're kind of in a bad place or is everything looking blue is that the sky is parting and the sky, the sky's turning blue, all the cloud, all the, the, the storm is passing.
1: Yeah. I guess you could see it either way. I mean, I, I did not, do not find any hope in this song. So I, I didn't take it as the, probably not the latter. Know, yeah. The sky is getting blue. I mean, Clarksdale, you know, obviously the blues, um, yeah. Clarksdale and blue and blues there. I, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I don't, I mean, if, if it was, if it was that interpretation that, you know, it's, it's getting better. Well, it, it ends saying him saying it's bad out there. So bad <laughs> I don't know that. It, I mean, unless he temporarily sees a little sliver of hope and then concludes, no, it's bad out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like ending a talking with
0: that up note at the end. Like it's just yeah. this
1: tiny little bit of maybe
0: things are not as absolutely horrendously awful as the song is suggesting. And then, well, no, probably not. Uh, I could, could be my own just, you know, looking for some, something in, in these songs. Again, the fact that it is as funny as it is, the performance is so funny, despite the growling and the ominous tone. It is, again, It's a, it, this is a very funny record oh, across yeah. the board, despite all the doom and gloom. It's still got a lot of really funny stuff.
1: It does have a lot of funny stuff. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know if you want to move on from the lyrics yet, but uh, the live performance of the song, obviously, uh, depending on the year. I mean, the one that is on... Um, Telltale, signs Telltale Signs is from like 2008, yeah. one of my favorite like live performances of his ever I mean that is just it's just stunning that version and it's it's the really angry Old Testament version where he's really shouting it's from 2003 yeah. um I've seen it a couple times in concert and I was listening in preparation for this to a lot of different versions um and it's really only, I mean, I like the other, a lot of the versions I've heard, but it's really this, like that 2003 version where he's like furious that I think suits the song best. Cause you know, like I saw it, I, I was just watching the one I saw it uh, in, in person. Uh, I was just watching on YouTube on from Atlantic city, 2015. Um, and it's good, but you know, he's kind of like, it's more laid back. He's not shouting. It's just, it just, it loses it uh, something for me when he's not like, it's not the righteous version where mm-hmm. it's just like the fire and brimstone kind of shouting
0: now i haven 't heard the two thousand and three version, but yeah let 's talk about the live ones it 's been played seven hundred and twelve times between two thousand and one and two thousand and eighteen, which is that 's a lot uh, you know seven hundred times it 's obviously it 's an up tempo number uh, and he was playing a lot from Love and theft, so I could see why that this is something that would uh, off that record it would get a lot of plays. Uh, over some of the other songs, again, it's been four years. Maybe it's sort of retired, at least at least temporarily. The live versions that I heard, I heard the one from Telltale Signs. I'm like you, I went to YouTube and I listened to some. I, I, there's something to me that's just a little missing from the one on the record because there's to me it's got that he's got that low growl on the record, and to me that feels that's the maybe the guts. is the first version I ever heard, but just to me there's something perfect about that low growl that Mm -hmm. he kind of doesn't do live uh at least the ones i heard he's kind of rushing like he's bending the lines to like or he does the thing where he rushes the words in the first half to kind of stretch out the second half or vice versa and i Mm -hmm. i just prefer the 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 driving force of the the uh the the album take now this i have not heard like i I don't know if there are other takes of it no actually that's an interesting thing
1: too uh that i read about in um you know uh, in that clinton halen um still on the road book is uh this was the only uh take of it um at, at least it, how 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 clinton dopes it out he thinks that this they did one take of it and uh in the studio and that there may have been there's there's there was apparently like a dat tape uh i don't know where or how you know i don't know he, that guy has a lot of access but um to to our, to Dylan's stuff so apparently there's some dat tape that says high water and then in parentheses um old lyrics <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, the Clinton's, uh, theory, uh, was that there's just, there's that they, they recorded the one version that we all know essentially. And there was a second, they, they did like another, uh, he, Dylan actually re-recorded some of the vocals and they sort of punched that into different parts because to clean some stuff up, but he, he essentially thinks that there's just that the one take we hear is the one take they did.
0: Hmm. There is a little bit of detail about this from uh, it's on the Wikipedia page from engineer Chris Shaw, Chris Chris Shaw, uh, where he says this uh, "Love and Theft" was recorded entirely using analog equipment before Dylan switched to Pro Tools from modern times, which is just funny. Just thinking about Dylan, you know, opening Pro Tools, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> sitting there, just sitting there. Right? Uh,
0: <laughs> but uh, uh, what's my register? What's my uh, <laughs> what's my <laughs> register key? Uh, which resulted in the original master tapes being chopped up. When Dylan decided he wanted to rearrange the song's verses during the mixing process, as Shaw explained in Uncut, there was a lot of editing done on Love and Theft. Like on High Water, for example, the verse order of that was changed quite a few times, literally hacking the tape up. He was like, nah, maybe the third verse should come first, and maybe we should put that there. There was a lot of that.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I did see that. So I guess I don't know, you know, I'm not a, an expert on recording, but I, I, I think, but basically it means is the, you know, he recorded it once with the band and yep. then they, then they just re, you know, moved his vocals around. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's how I read it, but basically like it's not like this song was recorded. They, they worked on it a million times and did a million takes, which is a little disappointing because you hope one day if, if, you know, you'd hear different versions. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's forthcoming. Um, but it's, obviously a song he has a lot of love for. It's always, you can never really tell with him what he likes or doesn't like because I don't think just because he doesn't play a song that necessarily means he doesn't like it. But I would have to imagine when he does play a song 700 times, it means he at least has some affection for it. Yeah. I don't think he's trotting stuff out that he hates every night. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, and obviously he gets some sort of reward from finding new things in it. Again, maybe they're in the the uh, perfor- the 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 melody you know or the 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 vocal performance and uh, you know again i didn't look i didn't look when listened to like a hundred versions but he, the song has remained relatively the same musically yeah. throughout yep. these performances he hasn't really rearranged it in any significant way at least no from what i could hear
1: it just sort of changes in the, in the level of intensity basically yeah. um and you know sort of slightly slower more of a sh- little more of a shuffle um but it's essentially the same song and um and you know he doesn't change the lyrics. I don't think I heard a single lyrical variation on all the versions I heard. Mm. Um, so you know, again, once again with his with him changing the lyrics, you never know what it means or doesn't mean. I don't think he's I don't think he hates the original lyrics of Tangled Up in Blue, but he's obviously constantly fiddling with them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. In in the case of High Water, you know, again, if, if he's if he's not if he's playing a song all the time and he's keeping the lyrics, I assume he, he that means he kind of does like the lyrics. But you know, for whatever reason, this is not a song he's. Messed around with, I don't think at all, lyrically.
0: Yeah, and this is this is something. I mean, again, lyrically, like it, it follows floater uh, again, like another water image mm-hmm. that you've got, and you've got the back to back. And of course, you know, Bob loves songs with floods. I yes, mean, the levee's going to break down in the flood. I mean, he, the man, he cannot stay away from the, you know, the water coming in imagery. And again, of course, you know, we were just a couple of years away from from Katrina. On top of it, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's like he's plugged into this. Weird thing out in the out in the universe that the rest of us can't really uh, perceive. But yeah, it, it's it on a great record on Love and Th- It's so funny the kind of thing we were saying about uh, you initially thought High Water was your least favorite, but you still like them all. It's like when I think of Dylan's 21st century records, I rank of the five that we've got of the at least the original studio mm-hmm. song you know mm-hmm. records, not counting the cover rec- covers records. This is my fourth. Favorite out of five. Really? But I still, I still, but yeah, but I still love this album. Like, I love every song on it, and I love this album. It's just, he's put out other ones that I like a little more. What if and you it's throw like,
1: Christmas in the Heart in the mix?
0: Well, <laughs> uh, you can't, yeah, I don't, that's not a fair comparison. But, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, I would put the, but I still love this record. Right. I listen to it all the way through all the time, but it's simply because he's created Modern Times and Rough and Rowdy Ways yeah. and Tempest that I'm like, well, those, okay. Those are so great. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like trying to, I would imagine like trying to like name your favorite child or something. It's impossible.
1: Does he, it's, is, is, is to, together through life would be five for you? Yes. That would, I, would I would imagine like, that, Again. So. And
0: I still like that and record as well. Think it's you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, is one rough and rowdy ways for you? Uh, I still, okay.
0: If we're going to do it, if I have to measure them, I mean, I'm the dummy who brought it up. Uh, I, would do it, I would do it, but <laughs> I would, I would do so modern times. Rough and Ratty Ways, Tempest, Love and Theft, Together Through Life. That's the order I would do it. I, yeah. I think Modern Times is deserves to be mentioned in like the five greatest records he's ever made.
1: I'd probably uh, have Tempest kind of as my four and Together Through Life as my five. I mean, they, they, I have a little, I mean, I love Tempest, but it's it's a little rough to listen to mm-hmm. <laughs> with that voice. Um, but uh, <laughs> More and, water um, imagery, by the way, on that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Never, there you okay. go.
1: And then to, uh, with, you know, even together to Life at Five, I mean, I love that album too. Yeah. And of course it has the Robert Hunter connection, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sure, sure, sure. right. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're all good records. <laughs> you know, the, you could say one thing about the man, he, he still makes good records. <laughs> absolutely. So, okay, that's actually, a, uh, I
0: didn't, didn't intend this, but because you are so, uh, such a big fan of The Dead, I, I, I want to ask this question because I'm sort of curious. Uh, obviously Robert Hunter, you know, great Grateful Dead lyricist. Do you have a, just a general feeling about the songs that he has co-written, Bob has co-written with Robert Hunter versus the songs he co-wrote, say, with Jerry? Do you feel, do you notice, a? have you noticed a difference? Do you feel like there is some sort of qualitative difference between the, the material they produced together? Or do you feel like, no, it's, you know what I mean? Like, are there, Robert, are there Dylan songs that you love that are co-written by Robert Hunter? Or do you feel like Hunter's kind of best work was with The Grateful Dead? You know
1: what I mean? Like, yeah. do you have a, in yeah. your mind... I think, I, I, there, the songs he wrote with the Dead, the ly- lyrically, if we're just going to look at lyrics, are, are astounding Mm. um i don't think i don't think most of the songs he wrote with dylan are are astounding um i do think i mean i like a lot of them a great deal and i think i don't know if it's dylan's overpowering nature or something but Mm. um (laughs) you know if you if you didn't tell me they were written by robert hunter i'm not even sure i'd know i'd realize that most of them were um i'm not sure so sure i haven't done like a, a real too much of a thought about this but i don't know that that it's like such a strong Hunter influence on the Dylan lyrics that it would be very obvious that it, that they were Hunter lyrics. Um, with the case of, uh, you know, him writing for Garcia. Um, I mean, those songs could only be written by Robert Hunter. There's Mm -hmm. just all kinds of tells and gotcha. Right. That's kind of what I I was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But I mean, I, I, I like, I like the Hunter Dylan songs. Um, I don't actually know that much about the collaboration or how it worked. Um, now, um, now that I'm thinking about it, like, did those two sit in a room and write, you know, lyrics together? Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it seems to to like imagine. he does
0: all sorts of different things. Some people he writes back and forth, you know, he writes, scribbles some notes and mails it off. And then it comes back and back and forth. The Other people, he literally sat in a room with them. So I guess it all... I do like Sylvia.
1: Self- you know. <laughs> there you go it was, yeah okay so <laughs> that's a that's a, like a, a good rocker live i mean yeah. that's you know he got a lot of use one. out of that
0: one absolutely so he well did
1: yeah um so
0: i mean high water again it's just an absolutely terrific song uh it's just uh, uh like you were saying like you wouldn't say infidels is a record you would give to somebody to get them into dealing love and theft i would i think love and theft is kind of a great if you want if you were saying like yeah, you I know give so. me give me a couple of records introduced bob to love and theft would be on to me on that list
1: I would think so. I mean, Mississippi, of course, is such a great start and such yeah. an accessible song. And, a you know, I don't know how anybody couldn't love that song. Um, you know, so that, that alone is worth the price of admission. Um, but I mean, and a song like Hardwater, too. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it rocks. It's, it's got some crazy, uh, intricate lyrics and there's a lot to latch onto, but it's not, but it's accessible and it's something that I think, you know, most people would enjoy. So yeah, I think Love and Death is a decent starting point, too.
0: Absolutely. So, okay. Uh, before we sign off here, Josh, I'd have to ask you uh, again, the standard exit question. If there is any Dylan album that you could sit in on the sessions for, uh, what would that be?
1: I forgot to actually give this thought, believe it or not, <laughs> given all the times I've listened to Bob Dylan and that you asked this question, I actually haven't talked too much about it. Um, I mean, I guess good as I've been to you, right. I mean, don't you want to just sit in Bob Dylan's garage and hang out with him? That's just you that's, and him. That would be, that's an
0: interesting way of looking at it. Nobody's ever selected that, but yeah, that would be very intimate. Cause yeah, just I mean, you, it's him just and you, Debbie gold, I guess. And,
1: somewhere. and, and uh, what's his name? McKajia Ryan, the yeah. engineer yep. guy. So just the three of the three or four of us hanging out in Bob's Malibu garage, um, looking through his coffee table books and reading the encyclopedia of desks during downtime. It yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, that sounds like a pretty good hang to me. My second answer would be like, none. I don't want to, uh, you know, puncture the, uh, the myth of that. This is a, just some real dude and you know just keep him as an artist but i would probably given my choice uh, actually want to meet him and you know we we could hang out and uh, i think i w- i've always thought he's like he kind of reminds me of like a great uncle or a, or a jewish grandfather of mine like i think like one on one He's a fun guy to hang out with. I think if, if you can get the, the real him to, he's, he'd be obviously joking around a lot, I think. And I think he'd actually be a pretty easy guy to hang out with. I'd call me crazy, but I actually think I'd have a decent grandfatherly Semitic connection to him
0: interesting okay yeah i mean
1: you would have that connection that a lot of other people would not so that would i be... would i would think so I, I know people like him i know uh i know a lot of old jewish men in my family it's, it seems he seems like just to me when when you see him w- when he does let his guard down a little bit i see a lot of that come through i, I mean honestly i think one of the most revealing clips of him is the pawn stars clip like that folks <laughs> like that ridiculous reality show of him just like being like, Oh, Hey, chumly. Like, I think that's what he would be like. He'd be kind of chatty and, you know, goofing around and smiling. And I think uh, that's a, that's a figure I recognize uh, familially. Okay. Interesting. All right. That's
0: great. <laughs> that's terrific. Well, Josh, uh, thank you so much for doing the show, man. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet?
1: Um, it's really just, um, Twitter, obviously, which is how we met, uh, at Mm -hmm. dead sound app. Um, I, you know, it's a lot of grateful dead talk, um, but it's probably almost as much Bob Dylan talk at this point. So, um, again, at dead sound app and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a pretty even mix at this point, probably of Dylan, uh, and dead, not Dylan and the dead, but Dylan versus dead. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's great talking to you. Thank you, Rob.
0: All right. So, of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to slash FW Podcast, like these fine folks did Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hussle, George Doherty, Bucky Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. Thanks so much, guys. So, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. The I
1: want to don't know that sound, I don't put on a damn damn line. And I tell
0: that what I want, I don't just lose this town.